Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, I mean, a joy and delight uh, to be here for such a special day. Uh, we would have loved to have been here for any Sunday, uh, but especially uh, to celebrate this day and uh, uh, to stand with Dave and Silla uh, to commemorate this wonderful season, all that's happened thus far, with much more spreading out uh, before us. I'd like to just read a passage of Scripture, which you might want to turn up, but it's very, very brief, so it's hardly... Uh, worth it? Hebrews 13, 7 and 8 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we thank you so much we exalt you, Lord. We love to sing your praise. We love to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you. You delivered us from the horrible dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your dear Son. And Father, we celebrate that with all our hearts. We are so grateful. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for stories that can be told of young lives that were helped and directed, shaped, formed. People, Lord, trained, sent. God, it's so wonderful. We're so grateful, Father. We thank you. We're part of an ongoing purpose of God, part of an army of people on the move. And Father, thank you for this opportunity, this moment when we can stop and reflect, give thanks, seek you for more. Lord, own this uh, moment, own this time that we, Lord God, might be fortified, strengthened for what lies before us, God. So bless your word to us, please, Holy Spirit. Would you be our teacher? Would you show us more? Would you lead us forward? We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm sure that uh, David and Silla find it somewhat awkward, uh, having the focus being on them. Uh, I'm sure we find it rather strange sometimes to come to church and talk about people. Uh, we're used to talking about Jesus and glorifying God. But uh, I've found a verse, in fact, I felt as I was praying about this morning, this verse came to me quite strongly uh, from Hebrews uh, 13, where it says, remember your leaders. God is not scared to draw our attention to people. God is not threatened. Uh, he doesn't like, uh, or he's not scared of our, our thinking about people. Sometimes we find uh, uh, preachers will say, God wants a faceless army. And like a faceless army, of people who've got no personality, no identity. God loves anonymity. If he could crush you, put you out of existence, and all the glory goes to him, he'd be happy. Well, that's not what the Bible says. God's not scared of his heroes. He's not scared to present men and women who do exploits. In fact, Hebrews, the, cha uh, the book I've just read from, has a whole chapter, a long chapter, setting one after another, one person after another person, and showing how they did exploits, how they lived before God, how they worked out their life in God's plan and purpose. God is not afraid of letting us have heroes, and it's great to have a day when we can have a moment to reflect on our heroes here and uh, the lives that they've been living thus far in terms of faithfulness to God, what they have accomplished. So the Bible's telling us, remember your leaders. It's telling us to do it. And as it says in Hebrews 11, there's one hero after another after another, and then the next verse, when it all finishes, is fix your eyes on Jesus. 
And it's fascinating, as we read those two verses just now, it says, remember your leaders, then it says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're going to aim to be faithful to those two verses in the time we have here this morning. So it's a biblical thing to remember your leaders. It's a biblical thing for us to take the time to look upon uh, this life. Thus far, uh, only 30 years. You are a mere puppy from where I stand. Uh, <laughs> So, 30 years of faithful ministry, testimony that spreads across the nations. So, let's look at this, ver this verse kind of phrase by phrase, really. Remember, first of all, your leaders is what the Scripture says here. It doesn't say your pastors, your elders, which sometimes can come over as a kind of a title. I am pastor this, or, uh, you know, I'm an elder. It can be just a kind of a distinctive title, but the word leader is saying something quite specific, someone who leads, someone who takes initiative, someone who moves the people from here to here. And actually, that is something very, very important. When I first became a Christian, there wasn't much said about Christian leadership. Now there are many books about leadership. But when I became a Christian, there were very few books on leadership because, well, there wasn't much leadership happening. Uh, Really, church was, well, there's a pastor, he takes the meeting um, and uh, works one day a week. Uh, and really, leader? What do we talk about? Leadership. But in David's life, we've seen leadership. We've seen people move forward. We've seen a church uh, built, a people on the move. And that requires leadership. It requires someone to take initiative. It requires people to say, we are going to move from here and it requires followership. Uh, you have no leadership without followership, and there's no following unless there's love and trust and respect, and a leader can move a people on who've learned to do that. And it's self-evident here this morning, as hundreds coming into this meeting, the previous meeting, to express, yes, we've been so happy to follow this lead. I'd like to say that from the outset, I would regard David as what I'd like to call a restoration man. What do I mean by that? Well, I guess in this country, there's been the influence of people who have said, God wants a glorious church. And I've often heard David speak about a day when he heard a preacher called Bryn Jones preach on God's glorious church and how that message captivated him and changed his life. Because up until that time, he would have been a faithful Christian, a Bible-believing Christian. But suddenly, he saw what God was actually after, that God loved his church, the bride of Christ, the glory of God, the joy of the whole earth. And he was captivated by a vision of the church. It just got hold of him. And not in a way where you just note it in a book and put it on a shelf, but arrested him, really. Captivated him, put new motivation in his heart. Not just the glorious global church, God's great end-time purpose to have a, a glorious church the, of the increase of the government of Christ, there'd be no end. He hadn't heard things like that before. He hadn't had that motivation. Many of us were raised with the kind of eschatology of hopelessness. Nothing's going to happen. Hang on till Jesus comes. Uh, we're in the period of decline. But he suddenly heard, no, no, God's got a great plan. God's got a glorious church not only globally, across the nations, but locally. The local church should be a joy, should be a provocation to its neighborhood, a community where God can be encountered, enjoyed, experienced, 
And that discovery put something profound into David's heart and made him take action, which led to his becoming a leader. Leaders don't arrive at that thinking, well, you know, when I leave university or school, I'll be a leader. Leaders don't come that way. It's not an academic thing. It's a sense of God getting hold of you, God revealing something to you, God capturing your heart and putting something there that you feel, I must, first of all, I must be loyal to what he's saying to me. Then as you work out your own devotion and response to what God is saying, you find others beginning to follow and you find, hey, I'm leading. You don't consciously say, I will be a leader. You say, I will give myself to God. And as you do, you find people coming in, being drawn into what is happening in your heart. And that is so evident, so obvious in David's life that that has been taking place. Real leadership. I would have to say, as I say, when some of us were converted, that wasn't happening a great deal. There were just meetings and services. And certainly democracy prevailed in a lot of churches. So no one was leading It was just who shouted loudest in the church business meeting and the pastor was a facilitator and trying to keep people happy, not leading anybody anywhere, really. That's what I observed when we began to see a glorious church and felt stirred towards it. I must move towards this. I must go and found, hey, people are beginning to follow this vision. Without leadership, we just kind of drift and any kind of change is resisted take some courage to lead. I remember hearing Charles Simpson saying he saw a guy going out with a very big dog, and this dog's pulling him down the road, and he said, you ask the question, where are you taking that dog? He says, wherever it wants to go. (laughs) Hardly leadership, hey. And God wants leadership, and here it says, remember your leaders. The Bible's not frightened to call people leaders. They take the lead. It's not simply that it's a democracy and we all think, no, no, we are, God God gives leaders. He ascended on high and he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He gives leaders in his mercy, in his kindness. We're told that when God looked down on the plight of the Israelites in Egypt, he says, I've heard their cry. I've seen the pressure you live under. I have come to deliver you. I send Moses. That's how God works. He called Moses, so actually a very reluctant man. But God, seeing the plight of the people, raises up a person. And we can read that sort of story again and again in the Bible, how God, looking on the plight, raises up a Gideon, raises up a David, raises up a Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's heart is broken because, well, Zion's in such a mess. He says, I must go and do something. And he's not saying, well, somebody ought to do something. We ought to take a poll. Does anybody want to see Zion rebuilt? No. Nehemiah says, give me permission to go. I will rebuild it. And you know, God works through people like that. He said, I'm going to do something. And Nehemiah goes alone, actually. And then you'll find, hey, people begin to follow him. Similar with David. David has a passion to bring the presence of God. And David, well, he's just in a Dullam's cave with a handful. Then it says, mighty people came to King David until an army like the great army of God was formed. And it's interesting to see how David reflected on that later. It says in 2 Samuel 5, 12, David realized that the Lord had established him as king 
and exalted his kingdom for the sake of Israel. God raised up a leader because he wanted to bless his people. That's how God blesses his people. He raises up godly leadership. And we need to pray all the time, Oh Lord, will you thrust forth laborers? Will you give more leaders? That's going to be our constant cry. But here the Bible's telling us, remember your leaders. Remember those who led you. And that's what we're so happy to do here today. We've got to remember also the biblical style of leadership. Jesus said, you call me Master and Lord. That sounds like a heavy word. And you do well. When does he say that? He says it when he's washing the disciples' feet. So yes, he does claim to be their Lord. But he's washing their feet. Or in these terms, he's letting 20 or 30 kids pile into his house, drink his coffee, eat his food. Serving, loving, leading. That's the pattern. That's the biblical style. That's what we've seen on display here. So let's remember our leaders. Let's remember what they've done. Let's celebrate what's happened here. And it's so good to hear testimonies from here and indeed from the ends of the earth. Then the next phrase is this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Now, that's a biblical leader. He's not saying, well, I've got a great idea, Bible, a bit old-fashioned, I've got some new, fresh ideas, follow me, I've got loads of personality. No, no, no. Who taught the Word of God to you? You're a privileged church. It's not every church you go to in this country where you have the Word of God brought to you. It's not every church you go to where the Bible will be respected, reverenced, taught, where the preacher leader is himself submitted to truth who himself wants just to communicate what the Bible says. We're a privileged church when our leaders bring the Word of God to us, and that would be absolutely the characteristic of David's ministry, that he has been one who has taught the Bible, and so brilliantly. When someone is so gifted, we are blessed. We want to hear. In fact, that's one of the marks of a person who's called, that when, they, when God's called them to lead and they speak, you feel I hear God through that man. When he speaks, I just feel God speaks to me. That's the gift. God's given David that gift. He's got a preaching gift. He's got a prophetic gift. When you hear him, you hear God because he's, he's bringing the Word of God to us. So we're remembering, yes, who spoke the Word of God. And he's very eager that you understand the Word of God. I know that one of the first times, I think probably was the first time, I ever preached here in your church. And I'm preaching away, doing my thing, and suddenly someone said, what do you mean by it? I thought, what's that? Uh, what's going on? And I wasn't used to that. And a voice came out from the congregation and asked me to explain what I was saying. I thought, fair enough, I'll try and do that. And then afterwards, David said, oh, sorry, I should have warned you. Um, you know, we're open to that. I thought, you are? And so, Because his priority was not that you know, there should be oratory from the platform, but that people should learn. And so it was very much, you know, if there's something you don't understand, give a shout. And, uh, and so it happened. So I, thought, I wasn't quite used to it. But it underlines the real desire to make sure we're hearing, we're understanding, we're grasping. Because he knows it's the truth that will set you free. And you are blessed by leaders who know you shall know the truth. It's a truth that will free you. And so you, here's a leader who taught the Word of God. 
What a characteristic. What a wonderful thing. Not only through uh, preaching, but happily through writing. And we have, in New Frontiers, over the years, in God's mercy, seen a lot of growth, even international growth. And uh, we've sometimes gathered very uh, significant leaders from all over the world for our training, our forums. And it's often been David who has helped guys develop their understanding. People like Pervez, people from South Africa, people from the USA, people from all over the nations, several European nations, were sitting at David's feet, and he's explaining, expounding. What is apostolic ministry? How does it work? How did Paul do it? What is the biblical pattern? He's unearthed things, worked hard, worked very hard, brought superb papers to us, really teaching us the Word of God, teaching not merely uh, the local church flock, but teaching leaders of considerable weight and significance among the nations, always bringing us the Word of God. It's a great blessing. Remember your leaders who brought the Word of God to you, not only in those lectures, but also in writing. He's written the great book, Demolishing Strongholds, and Rabani Coombs, when he heard David speak and when he saw that book, he said, that's the best teaching I've ever heard on spiritual warfare. The best book on that theme available. And now he's written this wonderful book on apostolic ministry, which I want to say again, is the best book on apostolic ministry available in the world today. And that is not an overstatement. It's a tremendous book, wonderfully researched, and you can unashamedly present it to any Bible-believing man. Say, look at that. See what the Bible says. Consider it. So he's helping people review what they've thought, research, and think, no, wait a minute. No, I I don't think perhaps that was biblical. I want to get lined up with the Bible. And David's had the joy of speaking to some substantial conferences overseas as well as here. And people are rethinking now because of what David said, because he's lining us up with the Word. Hey, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And so we can say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Whether it is we're a member of this church and we were a stroppy teenager, whatever it was we were, and God helped to line us up and get our thoughts correct. Or whether it is you're a significant national leader, And you've had to think, hey, wait a minute, I'm not sure if I've been biblical on this. I need to change my whole ministry. Hey, what a blessing. You've been blessed. Remember your leader who taught the Word of God to you. Took the courage to lead and made sure that what he was doing was rooted in Scripture, not novelty. Not just the latest fad that went through the church. Not terribly interested in that. What is the word saying? We're very blessed when that's true. Then it says, working on through the verse, it says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider the outcome. True leadership has an outcome. It gets you from here to here. There's something produced. There's something you can demonstrate. It's not just words. My fair lady, words, 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 I'm so sick of words, show me. We can see, we can see the outcome. We can see a church that used not to be here. A building that used not to be here. A people that used not to be here. Two meetings that used not to be here. We can see guys like the fellows on the screen here. We we can see the outcome. They're saying, boy, thank you so much for coming, David. What were you doing for the years before you came here? 
And they're just saying, boy, the value of your input. When we were being tossed about with all kinds, actually, of winds of doctrine, all kinds of funny emphases were among some of those uh, former Soviet nations and the churches there. They were vulnerable to really kind of some pretty unhelpful stuff. And David's come in strongly with the word and gone repeatedly, repeatedly. And consider the outcome. This terrific outcome. There's real fruit. There's real results. And it's, and it's reproduced in so many people through training programs that have been put on in this country and around the nations. It's been a privilege to be with David sometimes in Russia with the, the pastors gathered and they're hanging on what he's teaching. And then, of course, the whole invasion of the uh, Islamic nations and the adventure of opening up conferences and training programs in the Middle East. I mean, it's great. The outcome is substantial. We're not just talking words. We're not just talking books. We're talking about substantial life change in many, many people. So we can consider the outcome. There's a solid ground to demonstrate. And then the next phrase, again, just working through the text, imitate their faith. All right, and so the ball is rolling into your court now and mine. Consider them, thank God for the outcome of them, and now imitate their faith. Imitation is a very positive word in the Bible. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, we know you received the word of God because why? You are imitating us now. We know you got it. Why? Well, because you used to be idolaters. You used to be living in this. Now you're, li- now you're beginning to imitate. It's interesting. Discipling has that about it. Training, imitating. In fact, a friend of, a mutual friend of David's and mine wrote a book called Go and Make Apprentices. Taking Jesus' word, go and make disciples. Because disciples can sound a bit religious. So he took another word, apprentice. What does an apprentice do? He works alongside someone who knows how to do it. He watches. Oh, you don't do that. Oh, you don't put so much pressure on. Oh, I see. It has to go there first, and then you do that after. Oh, I see. And you, you get apprenticed. You get to, oh, that's how you make the electric wiring. That's how you work with the wood. That's how you develop the carpentry. You watch closely, and, and, and you imitate. You learn. That's how we do it. We imitate. Go and make disciples. Now, Imitate their faith. Imitate. It doesn't say imitate David. It says imitate David's faith. I actually think David is the most impersonated guy in the whole of New Frontiers. (laughs) Did you know that? You can go all over the world and people will imitate David Devonish. I, I live in a family, I've got four sons, and they're absolute riot when they're together, and two of them were very involved up here because of certain ladies who are in this vicinity, and, uh, and uh, uh, <laughs> it's quite funny around the table when they go into the David Devonish mode, and, uh, you know, <laughs> would you please pass the salt? Uh, <laughs> and we all have a riot, and I'm not, I'll impart m- mint sauce to you. And, uh, uh, <laughs> Now, David is very, I mean, he's impersonated everywhere. But it doesn't say impersonate David. It says imitate his faith. Right. So stop those naughty impersonations and, and start imitating his faith. And this is real substantial faith, right? It's faith that when David saw what God showed him, 
And he got a passion to see this church get started, get planted out, and have an ambition for this housing area. It took huge faith because, well, are there enough people here to supply a salary? Well, not the salary he's used to as a banking international negotiator, traveling the world, seeing the sights, having the excitement of all that. It says, in, it says about Moses, by faith, Moses refused. We often think that faith adds things. And you can hear certain preachers on television, if you've got enough faith, you can have this and this and a big car and that and this and this and whoa, more faith. It says about Moses, by faith, when Egypt, Pharaoh said, you can have all this. By faith, Moses refused. That was his first step of faith. He said, no, I've, I don't really want that. I see through that. That's short term. That's not going anywhere. But this is Egypt. Hey, we're the biggest nation in the world. We've got power. We've got resources. You can have what you like. You can be a young prince. By faith, he refused it. That takes big faith. And really, David emulated Moses in that. He said, by faith, let's go for it. By faith. But the money isn't here yet. The salary, we haven't got enough for a salary yet. Well, we trust God then. So this was birthed. This ministry, this life, this church was birthed in someone who said, I'm going to step out anyway. I'm going to trust God. That's the root of this church. Imitate that faith. And I'm sure the elders here have done it again and again and again when they thought, can we build this? Can we add that? Can we extend that? Can we give away the whole of that crowd to start King's Arms? Can we give away? Hey, come on, let's do, let's do. But, but it was dangerous? Hey, by faith. Decisions have been made here that are crazy, but by faith. And now people are going and they're imitating this faith. So I'm speaking to you, my dear friends, as people here. You know, consider, remember them. Remember the outcome. What's the outcome? Fantastic fruit all over the world. Now, let's start imitating more and more. Are you scared? You think, wow, what's going to happen to my money? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to me? No, imitate their faith. Understand, believe God. They've put themselves under the word. They've taught the word to us. Let's imitate that faith. At home in um, Kingston-on-Thames, I've moved a year ago, and uh, a small church, and one of the elders, super guy, uh, it's like oxymoron, a young elder, and uh, just got four very little children, one just born, uh, recent months. They're off to Istanbul in five or six months' time. They're going to Istanbul to help plant a church. Why? Well, at least partly it's his fault. That's true. It's his fault. Maybe not wholly, but very significantly. If it were not for David, we wouldn't be there. If it were not for what he's lived with, believed God for. And people look at this couple in our church. I mean, they look so young themselves. And these four tiny little children think, you're going to... People have said to them, even family members in this last few months, as they've started sharing it more, we're going to... You're going to Istanbul? You're giving up your job? Your children, what will happen to them? And sometimes family members saying, hey, come on, be responsible. 
I am being responsible, I'm believing God. I'm imitating faith. Faith that's not just a mental process, it's not mysticism. It's not a leap in the dark, it's a step into the light of the truth of God's word. And it has outcome, it affects things. So people are imitating. And that, what has characterized the kind of choices David has made is right through what we call New Frontiers because of his teaching, his example, his modeling. It's right through there. People know about his visits to Russia and the deep snows. They know about the push into the Islamic world. They know about it. It's fired a generation. I think of new days, 7,000 teenagers. And what's being put before them? Jesus as your pal? No. What's being put before them is the world is out there waiting. Jesus has called us. He wants us to go on mission. That value, that passion is being reproduced in hundreds and hundreds of people. People are saying, I'm off, I'm going. We've got unprecedented people just going to city after city. We've talked here about Copenhagen. We've got Valencia, Madrid, uh, Berlin, Paris. People are going. They're just going in an unprecedented way. God said to us, pull back the bow. David got hold of that. It's push back into the Midlands. And God promised, I'll send arrows. And they're going in an unprecedented way. We've never sent so many people. And David's heart and passion is right at the heart of all that. It's reproducing. Imitate their faith. Their faith, which is putting value on what God says. Believe in God when it looks quite scary. When it's all a bit unknown. And as has so rightly been said here this morning, that's not David alone. It takes a willing wife to say, what, give up that job? Yes, of course, what? I move here, we'll do that, we'll go and spend three months, what, 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 what? You can't do that without a couple being together. You can't do that without, yes, darling, we're in this. Jesus is leading us. It's a corporate thing. We do commend you both so much for the way that's been done. Imitate their faith. It says in Hebrews again, don't be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Faith and patience. Things don't always happen straight away. Faith and patience. God, you said it. I'm trusting you for it. There may be delay, but we imitate the faith of the heroes of Hebrews 11. They had to wait. Abraham had to wait. He just had to believe. And faith is often tested by delay, but we're called upon to imitate that, prioritize for that. And here, it's good for us to obey the Scripture. Remember your leaders. You've, had, you've got an example, not just in Hebrews 11, but right in front of us. People have done that. We're very privileged. Not every church can claim this. You're very privileged. Now touching nations. Remember those who led you. Remember your leaders. Imitate their faith. Consider the outcome. They spoke the word of God to you. And then let's just get to this last verse very quickly. Just as it is in Hebrews 11, it sets these terrific characters before you. Then Hebrews 12 says, now fix your eyes on Jesus. And that's what David would love. I know that's what David and Silla would feel slightly embarrassed about this difficult to sit there. What they would rather we did was think on Jesus. And it's so lovely. I find a verse God puts on me, and next verse says, Jesus Christ, the same. 
yesterday, today, and forever. So the writer is saying, yeah, remember your leaders, but in the end, leaders, they're like a vapor. They come, they go. We flourish, we rise, we fade, we're gone. Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, forever. He's the one we ultimately look to. He's the one we magnify. He's the one we delight in. He's the one that David wants to point to all the time. Jesus. Paul says this, we don't preach ourselves. Jesus couldn't say, couldn't say that about Jesus. He preached himself all the time. He said, I am the way. I am the life. He didn't hide away. He said, I am the bread of life. You've got to eat my flesh. If you're anyone thirsty, come to me. Jesus constantly preached himself. He's the answer. He's the one. This morning, if we've come with any kind of pressure, any kind of need, or perhaps even this morning, you haven't yet put your trust in him. Maybe you started looking in at church. Maybe you started Alpha, and you just looked in this morning. You're so welcome here. I expect you found that. People make you welcome here. But Jesus is the one. Jesus is the same. Jesus can help you. He can save you. He can free you. He can change your life. He can help you build a family. Help you build something to his great glory. Give your life worth living. He's the answer. He's the unchanging one. This last week, I've just been with um, a group of national leaders. Uh, we do this every January, just gather these guys, and we just share and talk. It's been an excellent time. I have one testimony I'd love to share with you. There's a guy called J. John. You may have heard of him. He's a very effective evangelist. And uh, the guy who leads the vineyard, John Mumford, said he just heard this story from J. John, and he told us. He said that recently, J. John and his wife were visiting a hospital where they'd heard of a lady who was in a coma and had been lying there and with no response at all, simply heart still beating, but apart from that, like nothing, just life, just there, but no response and been there for some days. She's been in this coma, and they got permission. Could they please go and pray? And so he and his wife went in, and they sat either side of this lady just lying there and held her hand either side and said, what do you pray? And they said, well, we don't know. What do you pray? So they said, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. And so they started to pray, holding hands. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when they prayed, thy kingdom come, she woke up, sat up, and was discharged from hospital the next day. Jesus, Jesus is the answer. Yesterday, forever, but also today. We often glory in that, you know, yesterday, today, and forever, but it's today that we often find the challenge. We believe in the God of yesterday. It's like when Jesus arrived at Lazarus' home and they said, he's dead, he's dead. And he said, well, didn't I say if you believe? And they said, well, if only you'd been here yesterday. If only you'd been here a few days ago. If only Jesus of the past. If only Jesus of the past. And he said, well, don't you believe he'll be raised? Oh, yes, we believe he'll be raised in the last day. Yeah, we have no difficulty in Jesus yesterday. No problem with Jesus forever. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's Jesus of today that we want to put our confidence in. To know him, he's, the, he's enough for today. 
He meets our need today. He's here for you today. He can be trusted today. That's, that's the adventure that David and Scylla are on, presenting this Jesus who's here today, who's enough for us, who can meet our needs, who can provide for us, who can keep us going into the adventure that lies before us. So it's our love and delight to present Jesus to you afresh this morning. He's the answer to life in every respect. So we're grateful on a day like this to remember you, to thank, thank God for you. You know how much I am so grateful to God for you. Uh, you carry so much in New Frontiers, these huge uh, transitions we've been through, not only our years of history of fellowship at Bible weeks and conferences, but going through this huge transition, uh, there's amazing skills to handle trustees events and sorting all that, leading church, leading into mission. It's amazing. I've always been staggered at how much you can do. We're so grateful for your friendship, your affection, your humility, your sweet friendship with our kids. Uh, it's not just a professional deal. It's a delight. And we do so honor you. We're so grateful to you. We're so thrilled what God's done with you already. We're very excited about what lies before us. And it's so great to be here on this 30th and recognize the goodness of God, your faithfulness, and the followers that God has raised up, great leaders that stand with you and look after this work and will go with you to the ends of the earth as the days go on. So we thank God for you with all our hearts. We celebrate Jesus with you and we declare Jesus is the same and will be the same yesterday today and forever. Let's stand to pray.